0: educate and empower co-living professionals today's episode has been recorded during one of our monthly meetups where we discuss a wide variety of topics related to co-living to join our network or find out about future meetups and other events please visit colive.org that's C O hyphen L I V dot org this week's episode is brought to you in partnership with young global living the platform for your co-living space based on your preferences With Young Global Living, you can find a new place to live, discover new work opportunities, and connect with other community members all on one platform. Young Global Living wants to make experiences the new kind of living by matching co-livers with like-minded communities and providing co-livers with local perks where location is no longer a barrier. Feel free to look in the show description for more info on Young Global Living, as well as a link to their website, Young Global Living where you want to be. Let's hop right in to today's episode.
1: So
2: today's first session is going to be me presenting very quickly what are the key differences between hospitality, the hospitality as a strategy, and the co-living. I know most of you know know what a hotel is, but some of you may not know about co-living. I'll try to make it interesting, but also informative. Don't think that's going to be very basic stuff. It's going to be things that uh, some of you may not have come across. So I'll jump into that session. I'm just going to share my screen with you. Okay. Uh, so for those that you know have not yet kind of introduced, I'm Williams, the Beehive Living CEO and ambassador for Portugal. Um, in Beehive Living, I'm just trying to think how I can move. We're a wellness-driven co-living company. Um, our mission is about empowering people to live a more connected, uh, healthier, and more fulfilling lifestyle. We do that by uh, creating purpose-built spaces and layering technology and wellness-led led services to them, but also creating a community that appreciates the gift of life. And um, we have existed now for uh, almost four years, and we have a bunch of spaces in the UK and now we are starting to operate our space in Portugal and the idea is to continue, initially focus on these two markets and then grow from there. Um, how we grow our, our organization? We start our life as a owner operated organization. which means we fund it and invest our own money into our spaces, which we dramatically shift them. So uh, each and every space of beehive living has been purpose-built for, for shared living and co-living. And uh, now our, the strategy that we are pursuing in terms of growth is to work with a group of um, private investors as well as institutional investors to take our spaces to, um, to different locations across Portugal and the UK and, and other markets as well. So um, in terms of school living um, um, I think my best definition, perhaps the fastest, one of people ask asking me, so what do you do? For me, co-living is a residential strategy with a hospitality-led experience. And uh, for those that don't know co-living that well, I think some of the characteristics that define co-living is that, it, yes, one, it's about it's multi-tenant. It, you know, it's about building communities ra- rather than renting rooms. And sometimes people don't get that. It's about really creating a residential uh, experience that drives engagement of people and hopefully elevate the lifestyle. Co-living, I know that are different organizations doing different things of build, but in general, you know, most operators try to purpose design or build the space to be shared. And the reason for that in the past, a lot of the spaces that people use for shared living, they used to cater for, they used to use a family infrastructure. And therefore sometimes they're not suitable for, for to be shared. But, in general, in co-living, that's where the market's moving. Everyone's trying to purpose design and build these spaces. Our bills are included alongside some service. We, offer, we tend to cater spaces for people to live, work, and play or, or, I mean, have fun. And you know, one of the key characteristics of uh, co-living as well is that we provide, we provide a variety of leisure labs. So it's not, you know, and, and one of the things I want to drive your attention here in this box beneath as you can see here, there are different sort of market strategies, yield um, strategies, uh, real estate strategies there. So you have the multi-family, the hostels, the service apartments. But as you can see here, one of the reasons co-living is growing is because it's the one strategy that seems to be able to bring a lot of the characteristics and amenities of the outer strategies um, underneath it- itself. So that's one of the reasons a lot of people appreciate co-living and why it's growing so fast. Now, just to illustrate what I mean by that. Um, sorry, moving forward. So as I said, co-living it's, you know, there are those, those organizations that are more residential led and there are uh, those that are more hospitality led. So there are different modes of co-living, but depending on how you flex these four characteristics of co-living in terms of space, service, and community location, you might have something that's closer to your hotel or something that's much closer to your mood family. And, and that very much depends on the operator, the location you operate, and, and what your intention is, and what your, the mission of your organization is. So, uh, so that's another reason why a lot of people uh, are attracted to co-living because they're able to flex their business uh, according to their intentions and goals. Now, just in terms of, of architecture, um, uh, one of the things that we realize that hotels follow is still follow a very traditional, uh, uh, um, um, a, a very conventional housing approach in which you have a corridor in the vast majority of the times and then you have uh, units on both sides. In Colivium, we try to, to provide a slightly different approach so that we can densify that building. And it, usually what tends to happen is that we actually tend to, in the case of uh, using the same space of a hotel, for instance, in this case here, we tend to make the uh, the units a little bit more narrow, and then we use that middle space to create for the for the community to mingle, to create engagement. Essentially, there are different ways of building this, but that's uh, perhaps a very kind of um, uh, straightforward of, of giving people an understanding of how the architecture of both strategies differ. The other way the architecture also differs, if you think of hotels, a lot of the times you go to hotels, their amenities are either based on the ground or they tend to be based on, on the terrace. And then in the middle, what you have is the units uh, where people sleep. Uh, in Colivi, no, what we tend to do is actually to mix the amenities and scatter them throughout the building. That's another key difference between uh, how the two strategies differ in terms of architecture. And then in terms of the user experience, I think here I try to highlight some of the experience between the approach and how the user to tend to perceive these two products in the marketplace. For instance, the light side of hotels, you know, people come with the, the expectation of convenience and the same expectations where we're trying to do in co-living, but the perspective of the user instead of wanting to be served is really to want to serve, to participate. You want to be an active part of that community. You want to be part of the family. Uh, on hotels, also, there is this expectation of anonymity. I want to remain anonymous. I, want to, you know, I don't want to engage with a lot of people beyond the staff of the hotel. Of course, that depends very much on the strategy now so if the hotel is a, you know, a holiday hotel, for instance, where people, you know, there are services that, that drive engagement. But in general, that tends to be the frame of mind. Whether in co living what you want is intimacy. I want to know everyone, I wanted to, to be friends if possible with everyone, and I wanted to, to, to create that sort of connection and, and deeper relationship. The other thing in terms of the how transient is actually the, the experience. In hotels, you want a more transient experience, I'm here for a bit, maybe a few days, maybe a night, and then I move on. Whether in there there is that sensing of belonging, I'm here to stay. I want you to form some relationships and to make the most of that relationship. And, and that goes to the heart of the key difference between the, these two real estate classes. You know, um, we like to say that you can't beat the human factor. And what I'm saying this is that usually in the hotel as well as in co one of uh, the, the product is one, the physical space in terms of uh, co and the hotel as well, predominantly you see the, the physical space as the product, but in Colivio, we have a second product that's very interesting, which is actually the, the, the community member itself. So that's a situation in which the client or your, your community member, your resident is also the product. You know, in case of behaving a lot of people that comes to live with us, they come because they're attracted by the curation that we apply to, to our residents and the fact that they're going to find people for particular type of mindset into our into our into our communities. So it's all about people in connection. And the other thing, the other benefit that drives from there is that this this idea of knowledge on demand, because I'm going to be interacting with people who have, that has lived in that town that has lived in that location in that particular building. I'm able to access knowledge in really kind of and that provides uh, uh, you know a, a much smoother transition into a new space and a new location. So I guess these are some of the things that I wanted to share with you. As I said, I was going to be very brief, but now um, uh, Layuba is going to go much more in depth. but before I drive you know I drive this forward, I would love to find out whether uh, people have any sort of immediate questions from the content I have shared. I would accept one or two questions. No questions. So hopefully it means that I have been very clear then. That's great. Great job. Maybe, maybe can I have a question? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yes, yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. It was very nice presentation, William. I'm, Hi, Rajim. Thank you. Yeah, very nice presentation. I'm Rajencio at Flatio.com. Which is marketplace for winter rentals, and my question is, you know, when we when you shared the presentation where you have the structure, how a hotel can be organized the the floor and the apartments there? Do you already cooperate with some hotel who are able to, you know, accept this vision and this uh, this new uh, you know layout of the floor for you? Because this is you know you know great idea, and uh, I'm just interested if you have any you know feedback from any hotel. Thank you, yeah, what I, what I, no, thank you, Radin. I think what we have seen, particularly in the last five months, guys, we have seen a huge amount of activity in terms of hospitality groups uh, approaching co-living companies. We have seen, uh, I think, was uh, Star City has just cooperated and transformed the hotel. We have been talking to a bunch of people as well, ourselves, who are actively exploring you know, how we can transform their buildings to co-living. We know that Artico in, in Spain has just signed a contract with a whole group to transform a whole bunch of the hotels into coliving. I think the, yes, I think there is openness, but when you realize the pratic, the practicality and the cost of transforming a building, I think what you're going to realize is that the, the retrofit of a hotel in Chico is going to be something a lot more lighter than what we have seen. I think the approach that I have seen, I have shown there, Radin, is more when you, you do things like we do. We we build a building from scratch for co-living, or we we will take it through a, a serious kind of process of transformation. But there is openness for that, and I think what we're going to see is a whole new generation of hotels and and co-living spaces being created of a much um, intentional approach in terms of catering for for a, for a for a for a for a community. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. OK, I'm conscious of time because we have so much content to go through. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce La Yuba Sorokina from Soul Kitchen. I think when we talk about these things, it's important to, to really kind of show, demonstrate real case studies that when you can learn the most. And uh, La Yuba has been very brave in actually doing that to her hospitality business. And I think we have a lot to learn from her. So La Yuba, the, the floor is yours.
3: Mm uh hi everyone uh, it's um it's very nice being here and uh i feel proud that i can already share something though i have to say that we are still in the learning process so uh, i think after another year or so it will be a lot a lot more to share so uh now i'm just gonna share my screen hope everything is gonna work okay now i'm just gonna go to the slideshow Yes, uh, working good? Uh, yes, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's great. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, we have part. Uh, this is the co living project in Russia. It's actually based um, outside Russia just by the Russian uh, couple and they market Russian people and bring them to other destinations where they co live together for a month or something like that. But they have a great experience for a few years already. And that's why we decided that we want to um, learn from them, not just like why to, why to uh, create a whole bicycle again if there's already people who um, who did a lot of research in this regard. So we're working together and uh, we're learning from them a lot. Uh, this is a little bit about our evolution. We started the hostel in 2009 uh, with three beds and then in 2012, we relocated with um, basically now 100 beds. We have won a lot of awards throughout this time, mainly working with um, international travelers and worked a lot with Hostel World, got awards from them, and um, now transferred into the co-living. So, as you can see, the amount of beds has been really significant, and how we see the future for ourselves is a combination of the both and um, gonna see how it's gonna actually look like um so this is our rooms uh, we have a lot of private rooms some, some dorms too uh, now we are remodeling some of the dorms to the privates so uh why would they choose a, a co-living model uh first of all we have completely lost our uh, major market for the moment because in russia mm, the borders are completely closed right now uh there is still a lot of uh Russian travelers and the country is really big, but it's not enough for us unfortunately and people don't like to travel and there are about 200 other hostels in the city and they all drop down the price uh, tremendously, so what we have left is about 50% of the occupancy which is not enough to survive. Uh, We were already looking for this kind of model uh, before and that's why now it's really interesting for you to try. And there is a market for the co-living in Russia. This is one of the other reasons why we did that because St. Petersburg has always been this kind of beautiful and romantic place. Uh, it's very nice. And a lot of people who wanted to stay with us, they actually previously never had an opportunity. We used to have a rule that um, a minimum stays tonight and a maximum stays two weeks because we really wanted to have only this Segment of uh, real travelers uh, of international travelers uh, and a lot of locals. They wanted to stay with us longer. They wanted to come from Moscow, for example, to uh, To live for months in Wiesburg, but it was not possible in our place. And now this is exactly what we offer. So we're doing completely the opposite of what we used to do before. Um, and uh, yeah, not to mention as well that uh, we have agreed with the landlord because we don't know the space and that would be not possible if we couldn't make an agreement with the landlord because, of course, if we would have to pay the same price for the rent, uh, we would just basically shut down at, at once. So here we have lower costs, uh, we also have lower risk because uh, we tend to work with uh, residents who wants to stay with us at least for two or three months, um, so it's easier to forecast um, in this uh, very changing world, which is really nice and uh, very useful. Um, yeah, so it was really interesting to take, to take this challenge and to work with a um, new model and um, what we've changed, um, you know, we actually changed like everything <laughs> uh, and, and whatever I'm trying to think about, we have changed it and um, like it was, it's really hard to put it in the just the three major points. So basically we changed everything about operations and the layout uh, actually not so much about the layout because it was good enough already we had a lot of um, spaces and that helps us quite a lot um, our. Interview procedure now is instead of confirmed online reservations, we don't have any uh, uh, booking engine. Uh, the process is really complicated. You have to apply to write the form. Then you have to schedule a meeting with us. And then you're going to have a conversation with us. And only after that, the rest of the process is coming. So also onboarding procedure we have by the community manager. It's a quick check-in by receptionist. um, And there are new types of events. And we use more tech tools than before, apparently, because there is no the perfect PMS solution, at least not the one that I would be happy with. And uh, um, we couldn't use our previous one; it was already too expensive for us. So now we are moving to the Russian cheaper PMS solution. And on top of that, we we use a lot of like more sophisticated than before. Um in terms of layout of library uh, it's not right now at all. Uh we have an extra of them common areas. Uh based nine percent of and they the same, state, uh but we have put a bit more so thinning. But you, but you're
2: breaking up a little bit. Uh, uh, but yeah. we are able to follow through the through the points you have made. But just just bear in mind, sometimes you're breaking up a little bit. But continue.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. Because I I saw the uh, I saw 50% uh, for the the construct them, and it's a really big pity because those beds are cheap. To leave them like six percent share shared space and this is too much i think well also everything in terms of markets, um big different uh going to do uh
2: has so she dropped Okay, we do apologize. Sounds like Loyuba has dropped. Uh, I think what I'm gonna do is see whether she has, she will kind of uh, join us again in the next few minutes. Um, I think what I'm gonna do, it's perhaps, uh, Laura, do you mind actually jumping a little bit earlier?
4: No, 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 no. I was just about to uh, offer I'm that.
3: I'm back. Oh, is back. everything is okay? Or- how no, how long did was I not here?
2: No no just a few seconds so so so. Oh, it's okay fine.
3: okay just you um, can go back to I the presentation.
2: Yeah go back first, to the same slide. Uh,
3: yeah. yeah. Uh yeah I'm just gonna find oh my god where is. No problem take your time. Pam 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 yeah uh, I'm just gonna because it's a full screen so I have to go back first and. Uh, Sharing
1: the screen again. This one. Okay. Yeah, okay Sharing your screen now. That. Going yeah, back. No, going
3: yeah. to be better. Uh, do you see the screen again? Yep. Good. Okay. Uh, um, I think I'll
2: just make good. the. Yeah. Just uh, expand the.
3: Good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the important last thing about. Marketing. We offer not a travel experience anymore, but um, broader living experience and the community. So there's different thing we offer. We still sell beds generally, but we offer a different product, and we don't target uh, young internet But now it's the law. And uh, now it's more specific. And it's a, yeah, it's basically now everything is different. We, we now have a different website. We use different social media strategy. Uh, we focus on direct distribution. And uh, yeah, basically we have to think outside the box for new ways of promotion, also for the new ways of driving as well. Um, yeah, in terms of the team it has been shrinked a lot because yes, uh, the reality is that the co-living, uh, there is a market for that, but of course it's a different kind of revenue, uh, and it works when you're not having so many employees. So we had to reduce the amount significantly, uh, and out of 13, 15 that we used to have before, it's only three, uh, employees that we actually hired, but we still have a lot of people involved at the same time. St- at the same time which is very interesting because we never worked with the volunteers before we never had space to host them before because it was too expensive to just have an empty bed for them and now we could because we have generally like 100 beds and we always have a lot of empty beds in the shared dorms so now we have i think about six seven um, volunteers doing uh, different kinds of jobs And now they're helping us with the cleaning, they're helping us with the marketing and maintenance and uh, they're really interesting, talented people. So I actually like to embrace uh, this opportunity even more and I would love to keep it in for the future. Um, Things we've learned. Um, I think the major thing I've learned is that the co-living requires approach, new approach uh, towards a business. And it's a really long learning process. So it took us a while to actually understand that uh, we can't have so many employees. We used to have even more in the beginning of being a co-living. And then when we understood that we have to we have to have a cleaning lady, not every day, but only a couple of times in a week, and then try to do the rest of the cleaning with our own resources and with the, with the volunteers. Uh, and uh, this kind of mindset, our previous mindset, uh, is uh, sometimes... Um, not so good for the new reality, uh, so it's really important to learn and also to embrace the opportunities of, of um, the community. That is going to be the third one. So yeah, the second one, which is also super important, is the flexibility. And here we did take with building bang best which of course really nice and used to be very, um, very pleasant for guests to stay, uh, but. It's not anymore, now we have problems that we have too many of them and we can't just move them around really quickly. We can't store them somewhere for a while and put out some other 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 bed there. So, uh, and that also goes with the space. And here we were lucky because we have three very large and a couple of, so uh, we could play with it. So we could play with the uh, where we're gonna have a lecture space and at the same time, um, and the same space in the morning can be yoga class. And uh, because we have so many of them, we can play with it. But if we had a little less, uh, could be a problem uh, because uh, it's different functionality and it means a space that can be transferable. Um, Yeah, and uh, the third thing is um, being creative, uh, diversifying business and even with just having a space, There's still a lot to do and it's still a lot how we can embrace the resources of the community. Uh, A lot of people, they are uh, brilliant in marketing. They can give some great ideas uh, about how to collaborate with uh, other local businesses uh, and uh, provide space for the events and apparently now in Russia, events still going on. Um, uh, This is the the, the most significant um, idea that you have to be creative, you have to be flexible. Basically it.
2: Well, t- you can perhaps stop sharing your screen are you by now. That, mm-hmm.
3: Done.
2: okay layuba um, if you can return to the to the normal screen but uh, i would like to, first of all to thank you so much layuba for such a gem of a presentation we have had some technical issues but uh, i think that the way you laid out the presentation uh, you know ensured that we could continue to follow you know what are what are the, the key points you wanted to make but we are going to share your presentation if you don't mind um, but really some gens there. and for those that you know perhaps um, um, uh, I just want to translate some of that operational kind of difference that Loyuba highlighted in terms of personnel, in terms of changes, and how that affects the finances. We have been part of a number of uh, now studies of transforming hotels into co living, not only in Portugal, but elsewhere as well. And in general, in general, Uh, Your operational budget for uh, operating as a co-living space is going to be 30% lower. As much as 30% lower if you run a co-living space because you need less personnel, it's less operational intensive. But also you need to bear in mind that your revenue is going to drop as well. So it's about creating a balance between the two and and depending on the product you have, you can certainly create a much more resilient business through co-living. Uh, the, I just wanted to make this point before introducing the our knowledgeable Laura Mata, speaking all the way from Argentina. She is the uh, chief uh, marketing officer on Casa Campus, and, and she has worked in the hospitality sector for a long time. And I would love Laura for you to come on board now and talk a little bit about briefly your experience, but also about how do you see this the structure difference between into the, the two industries. And what are the kind of things you need to be mindful of, uh, of as you you attempt to bring you know your hospitality in, uh, business into the Coliving world?
4: Hello, everyone. Thank you, Williams. Um, it's great to be here and um and and to be uh addressing this subject um you're everyone you know every time we gather this uh with this group you know we learn so much and you know it's like even up for ourselves being in the co-living industry for in our case over four years it's you know it's still we, we we're developing a business so um it's always interesting to learn, but I wanted to share with you today um, something that we have learned. I particularly, just very briefly, Casa Campus is a company that uh, has been founded by two Argentine partners, Argentina, uh, Argentina. For those who are not probably that familiar with the uh, uh, with the map of the world, we're in the southern corn, cone of South America. Um, and, um, we are, um, basically, uh, we have, I guess uh, two local partners in, uh, South America. And we also have one of our uh, founding partners is originally one of the Uh, partners uh, or excuse me founders for the collective in the UK. So basically um, with the uh, we in in Latin America it all started more towards student housing because that is a market that had no no major development in the area. And with the with the need of uh, providing some housing solutions for the student market, and with the knowledge that we uh, came across with uh, Fahad Sidiki, like I mentioned, uh, the former uh, the founder of the collective, we have uh, very aggressively started developing a company here in Latin America, and um, we uh, tend to run uh, in our business strategy. We run. um, big buildings, mostly basically in, uh, around a hundred units is an average um, number of units. Some of them are bigger, just to give you a dimension, because I know some of us here are more in you know, a smaller communities. And uh, so just to give you an idea, we have right now five um buildings that are up and running. So four of them in Argentina in different areas of the country. And we opened and started our first operation in Lima in Peru also this year. And our pipeline um, is a, a pretty um, big one and uh, considers um, some some different opportunities in capital cities in the rest of Latin America. So having said that, Uh, What I wanted to share with you is, you know, why are we as co- what are we after and what is our window of opportunity as co-living operators or as co-living players in this hotel conversion situation. So what I'm going to share with you is in our case, because we have such an aggressive um, business development strategy, the problem that we had across or we had come across the first years of our business development was actually being able to have buildings to operate. As you all know, the business of operations is definitely a a, a business that you need a large amount of units in order for your company to be profitable. Um, that's that's a break even situation that some companies, some of our co living companies, um, ha- can define in different levels. But in the case of Alana America, we needed we need to have um thousands of rooms under management in order for our operation operations uh, company to be successful so in order for that to happen we need spaces to operate and uh, that actually we didn't have we didn't really have any um, buildings that were there just like you know the we work strategy there were there you know there's buildings that were built as offices all they do is they just take over and they manage them do you have a problem here nobody no real estate developer actually develops co-living spaces they, they develop you know traditional residential they develop Hotels, they do something else they don't necessarily develop co-living spaces so we've been developing our own um, places mostly for the past five years Uh, but that also has the lead time and you know you can only build so fast so um, this opportunity of actually taking over buildings that have been built and ha- we're being run under uh, the hotel industry, or excuse me, the whole the ho- traditional hotel uh, um, operation, um, is what we have been working on in the past year very aggressively, because of course, COVID has created a, win- a much bigger window of opportunities for them. But here's a number of lessons learned that I wanna share with you. So number one, if you are in the A business of trying to um, identify new operation opportunities opportunities for your company, if that's what you're doing, which is what we're doing, you're going to be talking to the hoteliers. A number of um, things to consider in that regard. A, it's very different, you know, the hotel industry is structured differently in different geographies. Um, So you want to make sure that you know who exactly who you're talking to. Are you talking to the owner of the asset? Are you talking to the operator of the asset? Does the owner run its own property? Is the property run under an international flag? Is there a contract behind that? Are you talking to the, is there there an asset manager involved is that you can, that you have to relate to or do you talk directly to the operators? Are you talking directly to the owners? Basically the hotel industry on its own can be, Um, mapped in a very complex way and um, again my lesson learned is you're going to be competing again operators if you're talking if you're talking to an operator then we're going to have a hard time getting those contracts because let's be honest nobody wants to lose their management contract they don't want to lose a management contract and if you are already managing a hotel if you're a hotel operator then you feel like you can actually run a co-living right? That's the number one problem we figure out. If you're talking to the property manager or the property owner or the asset manager, that's a different deal because they're after their profitability. And you have some very good news for them because like we were just mentioning earlier in this conversation that just like William was addressing, We should be, um, you mentioned 30% under the regular GOP level to a traditional hotel business. Uh, Just to bear in mind, uh, most of, in order for the properties to be suitable for a co-living, the type of co-living that we're into, we're probably looking into uh, three to four star hotels. Those three to four star hotels, City hotels with around 100 to 150 to 100 rooms are the mo- the most um, typical kind of properties that are more suitable to be converted into co livings That's the one that you know that narrows down the you know the much bigger world of hotels in general. So basically, three to four star hotels, city hotels with 100 to 200 rooms, some common areas to can more more easily be converted into Um, our co-living spaces and they are you know the traditional common areas in the hotels Um, so when you're talking to an owner now we were talking to an owner that has that kind of property Um, that owner is probably is probably under a lot of distress today because of the well-known situation that we're all aware of but it was under distress even before covid because the next thing you want to bear in mind is that this is, and I can guarantee you that, you know, we have a lot, we have a lot of information that we could, you know, um, um, that we could share coming from the hotel industry ourselves, not the hotel industry um, was in the need of a change. And many of these properties were in distress even prior to COVID. So this is the way we are approaching them, is that this is not just something for, tooth, you know, until the vaccine comes. This is something that even when the vaccine comes, this can bring be- better a better ROI and a better profitability for the owners uh, in the whatever new normal is. And, you know, it's something that goes definitely beyond COVID because the needs, and that, that's a lesson we all learned we all here, we've all been here and we've all been developing co- living and even before COVID because we know that it's happening. So there is a market for them that used to be a hotel demographic who will no longer go to the hotels and they were not already not going to hotels before COVID. Of course, after COVID, and you know, we don't need this. Is uh, you know, we can again, you know, go for a long time discussing, you know, how this new norm, and this new reality, and this digital nomading increasing um, um, in in ways that it, it has increased. Now, the the entire um, planet has gone through the experience that we all went through this um, this year, brings a lot more demographic for a, uh, uh, an operation like ours. So. That's a third thought. Third thought is this is not just you know because of COVID. This is something that was already happening that has been enhanced through COVID, and uh, what we are there to tell them is, um, uh, you we can bring a better profitability for their asset, which is something that they they will listen to you when you talk about that. You need to show them that you can get them better profitability and. Uh, how do you do that? Basically, you bring down the GOP, you bring down costs. Um, In our, in Latin America, um, and this, you know, of course, these numbers may change, but in our case, we have a break-even for, in our buildings, uh, at a 30% occupancy. Um, Like, of course, Williams mentioned, the um, grades, and as we all know, rates go down, you know, you're going to be talking to them about lower rates because, you know, our, our stays are longer in the hospitality industry. The longer the stays, the, 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 the uh, lower the rates. But also at the end of the day, profitability is, is you know, is a revenue thing between the costs and, the, um, and and the rates that you're able to charge. And in that fourth point is, okay, The problem that you will be coming across and where the one thing that we figure out and um, we are currently working with a couple of properties here in South America where we're taking over the uh, operation and uh, the hardest part that the hoteliers, hoteliers meaning operators, hotel operators, not property owners or hotel operators have is that they don't know how to bring that um, th- they have two problems. They don't know how to bring those costs down. It's very hard when you've been in the hotel industry, when you've been running a traditional hotel uh, business, it's very hard to understand that you don't clean the rooms every day, that you that, that you don't have the concierge service, that whole, um, aspect of how to run a hotel that, you know they they know they're in the hospitality industry but we can tell you what we have learned so far is that they don't have they can't just adapt to the kind of operations that we run so bringing that 30 40 uh cost down uh has been a in a huge challenge for hotel operators in Latin america the second part of it is uh for a traditional hotelier and a traditional hotel um operator a public area It's a cost, it's a sunk cost. And we are in the space as a service industry. We make money out of every single square meter. And that's something that only we know how to do because to build a space as a service, not only you need to have the right design in the building, which Williams um, so beautifully actually showed. And that's definitely something that we all know. It's not just that. And that's definitely a huge part of it, but you can do that. You can adopt our interior designers in Casa Campus. What they do is they look at the building and we convert what we do in order to get that mix within the entire building and leave the the traditional uh, rationale of, you know, common areas here and the rooms here. Um, You know, we take out take up some of the traditional rooms and we convert them into salas, little co-workings, little lounges. and, And you can, that can be easier to do. That can be easier to do. The one thing that's not easy to do is to actually be able to facilitate a community. And if you don't have a community, those spaces can be very beautifully designed, can be very nicely identified in the eighth floor of your building but nobody goes there. If you don't get people to actually use them, if you don't get people to actually um, see value and find value in that community, uh, then you won't be able to get the right rates. And this is my last thought. And what we have, you know, so far, what we have been more successful in doing is actually creating and that uh, being able to understand that we're in the people's industry more than ever, but, but that we interfere somehow in the lives of those who live with us. They don't stay with us. They actually live with us. And when you take that third element into the whole formula of why is this an opportunity for hotel, for co-living operators versus hotel oper- operators who do not want to just leave their business um that's something that you should be focusing in because you, again you know uh, you are going to be if you're going to if you want to take over um a hotel industry or a hotel um operation uh again a make sure you're talking to the owner make sure that you talk business to them make sure that you show them how you can make their hotel a more profitable asset that the asset that they already have because at the end of the day that's what they see um, they you can promise them that you will be not they will not you they don't need to convert to something that they're not familiar with if it's an owner that has been in the industry for 20 30 40 years okay you remain in the hospitality industry you don't need to now become a, I don't know a shopping mall or offices you're not going to become something else you're gonna remain in the neighborhood of the hospitality but we will be able to Bring it, bring costs down, and make it easier for you to make it more profitable. Um, and because we know the formula, and um, and 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 you know, last but not least, uh, um, in many of our countries, at least in South America, bringing costs down is not just bringing costs down, but also bringing us uh, a, a hidden cost of liabilities. In terms of human resources, and you know, some of our countries uh, have you know very um, major issues in terms of human resources. So, if you have a hundred employees, you have a hundred liabilities. If you have thirty employees, then you have thirty liabilities. Uh, that to the owner, who is the one who, at the end of the day, is responsible for all those lawsuits that they may come across uh, with any of those employees who are a potential lawsuit. Um, You know, letting them know that you will um, um, lower that liability to them in terms of the human resources uh, is also a huge asset when talking to this um, uh, hotel as owners uh, interested in getting better results. Um, making their lives easier and bringing their um, risks down on, uh, in order when when talking about getting some profitability out of their asset
2: wow laura fantastic well thank you ever so much so many nuggets guys of uh, of of, of uh of wisdom there and, and really practical knowledge. I can tell you, we have been involved in discussion of these projects and everything Dolora Laura have mentioned there. You know, it's so important. You know, you have to go to take that person through all these pain points. Sometimes the person doesn't like motivation, but that liability that you may like. You know, with the human resources and have to lay off people. There is maybe connections that everything. You know, it sounds easy sometimes to make a conversion, but there are so many things that you have to think and consider. but thank think you have so much, so many strategic things there. I think one of the elephants in the rooms that we get asked right at the beginning when we approach about hotel conversions is actually, you know, what tends to be the difference in terms of occupancy rate. That's one of the key metrics of any hotel or any co-living space. Uh, uh, it's not that different so in general just take the the average you know occupancy rate in london for instance it's 79 percent last year uh in general even during this pandemic uh this pandemic year most uh, operators of columbia are able to run the space between nine and 95 percent so just by doing that we're able not to, sometimes to be more profitable but essentially to be to translate into a much more resilient business let's not forget that any hospitality business in the world, except for very few locations around the world, there is a huge element of seasonality. You know, you're going to have low season, high season. In Collibia, we are always at that planning altitude. You know, we tend not to, do much, to have much change depending on the period of the year. So I just want to complement that. So um, uh, so we're going to go move to the panel and I want to ask from Laura and Layuba some further questions. I'm conscious of time that you you know, almost the time. If you can stay with me for another for another 10 minutes, uh, that's great. And then you open for questions, but I want to make sure I ask this because Laura, you spoke about, you know, you know so many considerations here in terms of, you know, how do you convince that person? Uh, but one of the things that we realize is that there are a number of key requirements as we look at, you know, we have been talking to groups of hotels and not of every hotel sometimes is actually suitable for co-living. And one of the things we have found sometimes location can have a particular bigger weight on whether you know, these are transferable. Can you tell me a little bit, what do you think are the, from the experience you have had when you look at the locations of the hotels that they're gonna target? What are the key requirements you're looking for?
4: okay um in our case particularly we have established you know we all different um uh we i i know the not necess- this is not necessarily the same case for everyone but in the case of our casa campus like I mentioned we have identified uh, three main demographics. The number one demographic that we, have, um, that we need to have is we need to be at walking distance from a university campus. Again, because in Latin America, that's definitely a major demographic to um, attend. And uh, that there is no develop, there's no student housing development taking place in the region. So for us, that's the number one location that we are after. Um, that represents, you know, depending on the area, but that usually represents 30 to 40% of our occupancy mix, um, hotel, uh, excuse me, students. Um, also because in Latin America, in the major cities of Latin America, you get people from all over the region that actually travel to attend these schools. So it's key that you have some, uh, institutional housing solution for them. And we get very good agreements with the universities. So we have a baseline of occupancy with that again, at some point, uh, uh, somewhere around 30 to 40%. The second, um, uh, demographic that you need to ensure is, um, the, uh, what we call you know, corporate or the workforce. Uh, we all know, and we're all very aware that probably the saddest uh, scene in a movie, I mean, we've all seen that Hollywood movie <clears throat> with the guy who's traveling, God knows where, somewhere in Arkansas, right? And he gets to stay and he has to be there for an entire month. And the saddest part of the movie is when he actually gets to the hotel, back from his uh, hard day of work, a ten-day work, and goes down to the lobby, and there's no one there, and it's just like, the one guy, you know, it's he's all lonely, and he ends up having a whiskey with the barman, and it's just him and the barman. It's this very sad situation. The guy is working, right? That's what we call corporate segment. That's the corporate segment, and now we have to add to that data uh, information that the corporate segment are the millennials, right? I mean, we're all know here, I mean, we're all aware the millennials are the corporate segment. When I work for Sheraton, you know, corporate segment is what? The workforce is, you know, 30, 35. That's probably the the largest amount of workforce are actually traveling for work worldwide. Okay, Uh, those guys are millennials. Hello, Newswatch. And those millennials, they don't want to go to the Sheraton Hotel. Bad news for Sheraton, bad news for Hilton. So the rationale for, and a quick note here also, you know, the ration, the traditional rationale for hoteliers is you get more rate out of more square meters. So the difference your standard room and your suite is that you have a few more meters with a lamp and a couch. That's that's going from eighty dollars a night to one hundred and twenty dollars a night is a few more square meters. When you talk about that in real estate, that means that you need to have more real estate development, more real estate space, space to get more money. But you tell them, hey, listen, millennials don't care about square meters. You can give them uh, the presidential suite, give them a presidential suite with no internet connection and see what is it that they value. Are they actually valuing the square meters? No, they're not, right? We all know that. So you know, just you know, it it would be just funny to do that. You know, just give them a okay. Here's the presidential suite. You have a thousand square meters to okay. What's what's your Wi-Fi? No, no Wi-Fi. Okay, I'm out of here. Where's your Wi-Fi? Actually, in the second uh, level, all the way down, there's no light, but that's the best Wi-Fi. It goes to the speed. You can go to the speed of light. You can navigate at the speed of light. Okay, give me that room. I'm all yours, right? So you have that. That's basically have window of opportunity so we have we're moving the traditional real estate world from square meters to square cubes and it's about the experience what they do but in terms of the real estate investors that's a great News, because you don't need to, okay, you can, you you know, you need less, you need to invest less and you can make the same amount of money that you were making in the years where spent, you know, you had to give them more real estate in order to get better rates. Um, So um, it's, um, um, that's um, um, the the location, you know, going back to the original, the question about that's definitely something that you wanna make sure that you have. You wanna have that workforce um, uh, happy and of course location, I mean, so basically you wanna be near to what the places where they work, uh, that's the second segment and of course tourists. Um, and in our case, the good news is, you know, we had determined and established that tourists were for Casa Campos no more than 10 to 20% of uh, the entire occupancy and of our, of our mix. So, you know, with COVID and that's what I was mentioning to you, you know, you don't necessarily need the tourism in order to have a successful uh, co-living space. Of course, it depends on where you are. That's why I mentioned, and I'm, I'm gonna very briefly share with you. Um, I, I wrote down and then, you know, I feel, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a paper, we call it a white paper. It's really probably um, too pretentious mm. to call it like that. But um, it, I, I can very, very uh, briefly share with you again, let me uh, please, uh, as a caveat, mention uh, that we are in big cities, so this is probably going to be, you know, if some of you are based out of a more um, um, touristic areas, and this is probably not that much that useful, but if you're in a big city, uh, I can share my screen here, right?
2: Yes, you should be able to,
4: okay. So uh, I I can de- and before you all ask I will be sharing uh, this um, this presentation or this uh, paper that we put together uh, with you uh, no problem uh, he- but just to give you an idea of some of you know some of the KPIs that we established uh, for uh, potential um, properties to be converted into co-livings um, okay. Uh, again, you won't be able to, to read much, don't worry about it, I'll share the PDF with you. But basically, uh, these are some of the KPIs that we identified for a pro- what, do, you know, what must the property have to be, co- to be probably, you know, like I was said earlier, eligible to become a co-living, a, a Casa Campus property at least. Again, Casa Campus um, uh, addresses the three different demographics and is a city uh, based um, strategy company for co-living. So we talked about in terms of the location, strategic locations in our case, uh, more we're looking into city hotels that can uh, absorb tourism, corporate, the corporate world, the corporate, you know, the workforce and the student houses. like I was mentioning, an appealing design that basically we stated as, you know, a three to four star hotel with 3000 to 6000 built square meters and from 80 to 200 rooms, you know, roughly around um, the room, the unit size that potential to transform into a fully functional unit uh, and rooms are, are in the are in the uh, range of eighteen to thirty-five square meters. And one quick uh, uh, mention here, just um, just to wrap this question up. Um, in our case, we build uh, fully. Um, functional units in our buildings. That means that we don't have common, I mean, we have common areas, but we don't have common kitchens. We do have a number of them, but at the same time, all units are Uh, Fully equipped with, uh, you know, with a kitchenette as it's mostly known in the real estate world. So um, in order for, you know, because of many hotels not having that um, kitchen, which is a discussion we had in in a number of our meetings, right? Remember, we've had this discussion, you know, whether in private private, uh, kitchens, yes or no. So in our, you know, if you ask, in Casa Campus a question to private kitchens is yes, but this is just because of the Latin American um, um, cultural, um, and, and this is what we figure out in our own demographic, this may not be true in all, of the, all over the world, but because in our country it is, um, the investment that uh, in the case that, that is not, um, if, 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 this is the, if this is what the uh, hotel has, then they would have be looking into spending an additional four to $5,000 per room in order to create that um, full, uh, you know, convert a, a full unit, uh, excuse me, a room into a full unit. So this these are some of the numbers that we have here. There's a number of them more, that, like the, some of the KPIs from our company. I'll be more than glad to share this document with you
0: guys. Laura,
2: right, that's super. um that's really great information. One of the questions I had uh, about your investment that you have shown—that's the FNE, the FNE uh, investment to turn uh, a current hotel unit into a co-living unit. That's how much of the cost on, on that, average? That
4: four, four to six thousand. That's a whole. That's a cost for the entire remodulation, the conversion, entire conversion. Somewhere around four to six thousand dollars in Latin America, and, and that includes FNE. Oh, Bethany, and the create the 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 possibility of having an inside kitchen in the room, that's super. included.
2: Super. And and tell me something. In terms of in your model, because I've seen different things apply, that's an expense of you as the operator of of the of the asset owner.
4: It depends on you know we we're talking different deals. Uh, some owners, depending on what the contracts, have. Um, and also on the, what contract we have with them. You know, we, if we get, if you get a 20 or 30-year uh, exploitation contract, then we, you know, in some cases, we're talking about splitting that cost. In some other cases, uh, you know, those who are not willing to sign that, you know, long-term contract, then they, it's something that would be on them. Uh, some of them are getting some, you know, additional funding. But basically, you know, what we can tell them is you put, you, you they put in about, it's somewhere around 5% uh, all the you know um on the on the complete um that they have to put on the on the asset value and but the good thing you know if they do it themselves you know they end up investing that kind of money and again you know not all of them you know some of some of these guys are in a much bigger financial distress so they're like they need to just give me a way out and i, I i'm not going to chip in a single dollar i you know i'm let's just be honest because we're all uh, colleagues here right so that's one situation another situation is you know okay I could chip in but what's the business plan you know what, what do I get out of this in 10 five 20 years from now and um, um, one very nice argument about having you know the owner say hey listen you 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 put in five you know five depend uh, somewhere around five to ten percent of your asset value that's how much you need to invest in order to uh, convert uh, have uh, go um, from having rooms into f- fully functional units. But the go- also great news is your exit strategy now to your asset. You can you're now exit, you, you don't just because that's the problem with most hotel owners. When you have a hotel, the only thing you can do with your hotel is have a hotel, you can't do something else with it. It's very hard to leave. You know the hotel industry and the hotel industry has been in a very stressful situation for years now. Now, if they do this, if you put that kind of investment into your property or into your asset, your asset now is can become anything. It can even become traditional residential, depending on your location. So you give them more value to your to your investors because your exit strategy broadens up way more. And you don't necessarily need to bring in another hotel operator, which is probably, you know, this is it's it's, it's, the, it's the most stressful situation with hotel assets or with hotel okay. owners.
2: Laura, thank you ever so much. I think I, I'm gonna, I want to like to open down this space for a few questions. I know we have gone beyond the time, but I think just kind of to summarize here, you know, all the, the, the knowledge and, and, and wisdom that has been shared. I think, you know, some of the key benefits, it's one, it, it's, uh, way more, is a more resilient business strategy uh, in terms of in, pro, um, in terms of profitability. You know, as you see, there is a difference. You know, uh, in general, uh, operators of coliving operate of very high occupancy levels between nine and ninety-five percent, sometimes even beyond. In the case of the living, we were operating before the pandemic at ninety-seven percent on average. So you know, as you can see, that translates into quite a lot of profitability. The second thing providing the asset owner for the opportunity to appreciate their asset by creating multiple exit strategies for the future. That's another, uh, another, uh, another, another advantage there. The other thing, you have a client that is, you know, that is more likely to, to lead to reoccurring business. So in, in, in a hotel, you know, your client may come back in a, you know, a year time or two years time, in co-leaving the tenants for people, if they like your community, they will stay. We tend to say in behind the living people come because you have a space and experience to provide, they stay because of the community they love. So it's more or less like that. So, and, and, um, and I know that for instance, the business of uh, Casa Campus is mainly to do, with, is being delivered through self-contained units, but we have been studying uh, conversions of hotels in which you are able to work in suite rooms and, it's, and, and use some of the community space and kitchens to have communal areas. And then your conversion cost from co-living to, uh, from hotel to co-living also reduces in terms of the 000, uh, uh, that $4,000 um, to six thousand dollars that Laura has spoken about. And my feeling of that is going to come to the 1000 to the $2,000 conversion cost. Um, now, let's open up, you know, if you want to ask a question, please uh, unmute yourself and tell who do you, your name and who you want to ask the question to.
1: um hi my name is alex uh i run, i am a manager for a hostel in here in lisbon and we're currently developing a new property in the center of the city my question actually there's two questions and in there for laura um uh, you said that their the remodeling cost for from a, a typical hotel slash i guess for three four star hotel would cost around five to six thousand US dollars in Latin America. That is per what? Per room per square meter per property? That's per per room.
4: That's per room. room. Consider yes, considering uh, you know, and the the, you know the highest cost in that that one is if you want to build in a kitchen, right? That's uh, probably the highest cost involved in that, but it also includes all of epiphany and it's, excuse me, it's also, we uh, pro rotated in that. Um, you know, there's also some additional costs that would take to do like public areas that have been established in that. So, it, you know, probably yeah. let's say uh, somewhere around $1,000 out of that is to mm-hmm. redo the entire, uh, you know, some of the public spaces and stuff like that. I, right. I recall, I, I, I think I recall that with the numbers. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That's the, My, the, you know, an average per yeah. room. You can do like redo the rooms and redo whatever we need to do with some of the public areas.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, the other thing is um, do you believe that this uh, way of doing business or so this co living will outperform a typical hustle hotel uh, thing, uh, strategy in a, in a capital city, for example, or in a big city in Europe or anywhere really in the world in the coming years? or when will it outperform? Or do you believe it, it, it will never outperform or will it outperform all, always? Or how long will it take to outperform a typical hotel or the hotel industry in terms of uh, revenue and ROIs?
4: Um, the... I think we have a you know, like as like we said, um our friend uh, Matthew here. I love his hand his uh, handbook for the for the um uh, for a community manager. you know we we read it thoroughly, and congratulations to you guys, everyone who's been involved in that project because uh, you know definitely this like he's like he said, you know you don't just manage a community, you facilitate a community so that i think that's definitely you know uh, that kind of like the trick and the you know the secret formula of what we do Uh, but if we if we success in doing that we can um win and we can very easily uh deliver a much better and profitable business to uh, the uh, asset owners than a traditional hotel only because I do believe and I do understand and from all of our readings and from all of our research that the market that is out there is a market that's much much more bigger for ours than for the traditional hotel industry. They, you know, the market, the demographic that, we're, that we, can, we can target, if you give them the right product, we are more in the line of delivering the right product to what's being looked for in the world today, both, all, both tourists and students and and the workforce. We are in the path of giving them more what they're looking for than the traditional hotel, right? The, I, I, yeah. the, I can guarantee you that. The question is- No, yeah, 100%. Is,
1: you, your we... target audience is me, for example. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that's why I'm looking. and you would be much more happier
4: to say you know if i do things right you should be able to. You should be much more happy to say in like, a has campus than in again like uh, sure. Yeah, and I, you know, that's I, what I, I, look for I learned normally when I do. So travel. Well, basically, yes, we. Sh- it's just it's up to us. But if we if we if we if we succeed in doing what we do, we have a huge window of opportunity because this right. is this goes beyond COVID and it goes beyond you know um in our in the paper that I wrote down I um I stated I I, I, t- I talked about the watch industry the watches industry and. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. right i have this watch so i think we are in developing co living this is this where if we um if rolex didn't realize at some point that they were not in the time giving industry anymore you don't need a watch to tell you the time right but the the watch industry was dead the day they invaded smartphones so yeah. basically, if you keep thinking, kept thinking that you were in the industry of giving people the time, then you are out of the industry. So those who survived the smart phones that already tell you the time um, are those who knew that you and, you know, you have a role not because you don't know what time it is. You know, you can you can tell right, today you can know what time it is anywhere in the world without a watch on. But we have watches that do everything else for us. So to me, I think, and, you know, it's a very, it's, I I think the hotels keep thinking and William's presentation at the beginning of this meeting was very clear. You know, I think that what the hotel industry delivers to the, to their clients or to their people who um, stay there is not what's being looked for. We give them a place to live. We give them a, a, we, 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 we we invite them to serve instead of being served. And I think Mm -hmm uh and and it's very clear that that's that's where uh the that's where the uh demographic stands that's what people are mostly looking for so we okay. do have a great opportunity to yeah. to to give to very easily you know win some you know get, get some very interesting and serious business for uh investors and the developers in the Chandra, in-
2: uh- I'm going to perhaps complement what Laura has just so wisely said and just said it. We have been involved in kind of uh, appraisals here of hotel versus co uh, not only here, but uh, in, in Portugal, but internationally. So I can tell of the appraisals that we have been part of, uh, the ho- co is not yet more profitable than hotel and hostels. Uh, if the hotels are in good state and they are, at the average, operating at the average occupants, which is not a lot in Lisbon, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so, but it's very close. And there is one thing that's gonna make co-living, um, you know, really kind of accelerate its profitability. It's gonna be the technology side. We know that real estate is the, the least developed, is the least technological advanced industry in the world. Hotels are not far behind um, as part of the same. And the technology being developed for co-living to roll out services to the community that we have is gonna accelerate our profitability massively in the, the next two years, I would say. And then that's the moment we are gonna see co-living spaces become more profitable than hotels. Right now, if I handle heart, I have never seen a business plan that show a hotel co-living more profitable unless it's something very close to a hotel. But I can tell it's very close and as soon as Columbia, the technology gets developed, it's already there, it, it, you know, that's where you're going to see that, that transition from a Rolex to an Apple watch. Right. And we are yeah. to to that.
1: OK, thank you very much.
2: Any other questions?
5: Yes, may I ask a question? Yeah, please. I wanted to know what kind of contract you're signing between the, you as operator and uh, hotel? or the building you want to have it. Is it more like a lease option or is it more you're working as an operator on the percentage or what? what's the deal with
4: Yeah, the- that's what we do. Yeah, we typically do not a lease uh, and not in our business model, but we do a contract and we do uh, a percentage of the revenue and on top of that percentage of the GOP. And that's how we charge our fees.
5: Okay, and may I ask you what the percentage of this deal?
4: It varies in the different uh, scenarios but somewhere in for revenue it's somewhere around five to eight percent and eight to twelve percent of gop
5: okay thank you
4: mm-hmm.
5: and uh, with the kitchen so quickly about that because i found what it's quite a lot of um, needs for for calling people is it must and if it's must like are you in, in installing in, in every room or installing in like i don't know, per seven yeah. room we do
4: the, them we do them in every room you know not n- not not there's no oven offered they have a microwave that's you know it's it's all electrical we don't have gas installations we have electrical uh, but you have the kitchen you have the oven you have your own fridge um, you have um uh, well, your microwave and uh, okay. and and the possibility okay. of an electrical oven, and then we have, depend, you know, every, you know, somewhere our um our um our, our standards are a common kitchen that also includes you know, an oven and, and, and everything else. Um, we have one big, large common kitchen that includes the, a living room and a lounge area in most of the cases. One of them every 60 rooms so let's say if it's a you know if it's a hundred or two if it's a two hundred building you we would have two of them some of them depending on the layout some of them are out space kitchens and inside space kitchens and somewhere around that but every sixty rooms we also have one common kitchens that are larger with you know with the um, with with lounge areas included but all units at least have. Uh, you know their own uh, not oven, but they yes, electrical kitchens and um and um their own wow. fridge and we have a full uh, halfway fridge size mm, and yeah, okay. that, that may change into different but you know it's not the full fridge but halfway there it's not the mini bar traditional mini. Bar. it's bigger than a mini bar and it's smaller than a full you know family fridge fridge uh, for the units
5: and okay. about the um the what's the name uh, community ma- ma- manager and have you calculated how many one community manager can cope how many people can he's manage like i don't know if you say like you have from 80 to 200 so how one person can can be dealing with that
4: so far so far what we've been doing um, and that's something that we continue you know we, it's a work in progress community uh, but we have, so far what we, we've been we figured out that we you know we can have one building manager we call them building managers. Uh, we can have one building manager per building. And what we do is in order to, we, we create a shared uh, service that supports that building manager. And so if we need to, if we need, we just, uh, you know, we add people to our, shared service but not to the buildings basically all of the buildings whether it's 50 rooms to 150 rooms like the one we have in peru they have one building manager one market it's the same staffing per building and then what we do is you know we give them we we we, um we um, distribute differently what the shared service that we have for the behind the scenes non-in-building team that supports that community manage management in the buildings
1: Okay. I think, can I, I just
2: complement the perhaps what Laura said, Mario, just in terms of the kitchen, uh, if you are thinking of not self-contained units, but how a kitchen can support in suite rooms or any sort of rooms, I think that's a skill of, you know, operators, we build our kitchens and has been a lot of work for us to understand, because one thing is very important you understand in co-living, the primary role of a kitchen in co-living is not for people to make people eat. The primary role, I'm gonna say again, of a kitchen in co-living is not to facilitate the people eating. It's actually to create connection. Wherever Mm -hmm. you go in the world, people connect around the kitchen. So you you need to make sure your design enables that because Mm -hmm. that's where people want to mingle around the food. So you need to design your kitchen that way. And therefore, when you think about that, you need to think about both how to create connection as well as to cooking. In our experience, we des- we have designed our kitchens. We have four years of experience of designing different types of kitchens to different sizes of spaces. And I think what you want is, uh, I would say, for every anything between, depend on the design of the space and 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 how your your um, your space laid out, anything between six and, tw- and a maximum of twenty people sharing one kitchen. But again, mm-hmm. that's going to decide, because also if you bring 100 people into a kitchen, how are they going to connect? You know, you'd have to think of that. Mm-hmm. You may have several ovens, several, several hubs, but you need to provide the space for them to connect and eat together, okay? So that's something to think about. And I think when you think of the amount of per people to how much, how much one person, one community manager can manage, I think most operators, we are in the figures around, you know, we can go up to about 30, 40. You know, but again, at, again, depends on the service structure you have, what a lot of operators are, are, are developing, it's what Laura described, you have one person that has ultimate responsibility for that community, and then you have a, 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 a whole team that provide different elements of the experience, either virtually or face to face. OK, mm-hmm. so uh, but just to give a sense, if your first space, you may not have the ability to have that service structure behind you. So you, you can think up to, oh, I'm going to need one person. So depend on your space, you may be able to take one person up to about 40. OK, mm-hmm. um, um, we have seen conversions, these types of hotels that had about about 28 people and were able to drop their, everyone that worked in the hotel to about a team of less than 10. Mm. So, about eight that was um, the team. Including facility management and everything.
5: Yeah. And did you face any problem with some regulations regarding the uh, hotelier? You know, because we have some, let's say if it's a four star hotel, we have also regulations how we can uh, re- renovate and do reformation of the layout of, of, of the rooms or
2: so, did you face any problem with that? I, I think it really depends on whether you're going to maintain the license of a hotel and whether you are able to maintain that license and it's a, it, it provides a business advantage for you to retain that license.
0: Yeah. Or,
2: or, or, yeah, you actually have to change the use of the building. Okay? Mm. Uh, because in some places, like, uh, and that is important information in terms of Portugal, for instance, if you have a license of a hotel, you have to charge VG. VAT, uh, you know. Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or EVA, depends where you are. Uh, yeah. If you operate as a residential structure or, or what they call equipamento here, which is a more a kind of a su class like in the UK, where it can, you can have several uses, you don't have to charge VAT. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at, it, it's really hard to answer your question a generic term. You have to look at the legislation in your country. And, and, and what we tend to do is to think actually, um, what user classes, as soon as we enter a market, it's like what user classes can you use to run for living here? And which ones, when we apply the business model, actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you have to think of, you know, not only in terms of how it makes the business more profitable versus less profitable, but also the ones that make the business less risky as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a couple of
0: things for you to think about. Thanks again for joining us today. And from all of us here at CoLive, we hope you learned a lot and maybe even picked up a few pieces of wisdom to help expand the co-living movement. To check out the co membership that will allow you to connect with other leading co-living professionals or even just to stay updated on future podcasts and upcoming events. Head over to coliv.org. Again, that's co-liv.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.